Hi, good morning, folks. Will you turn with me, please, to St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. Ephesians, sorry. (laughs) Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Word of God. Good morning, everyone. It's great at the beginning of the new year to embark on a new series um, exploring Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it's uh, just really great to be able to delve into that. One of the reasons why I felt it would be something that is helpful for us as a church family to look at this particular letter is because right at the very core of it is who we are in Christ. What is our identity. There's some introductions of the letter. We won't spend a lot of time, a little bit about uh, who the Ephesians were uh, and the relationship with the Apostle Paul and some of the themes that we've sent through in the WhatsApp group so you can access them, watch them online. They're much better done than what I would have done in words uh, in a a visual kind of way. And please, please do access them either through the weekly news or in the WhatsApp or if you're stuck, just ask me and I'll try to point them in the uh, point you in the right direction on that. Author Terry Wardle tells a story 
uh, about his childhood. He remembers as a young kid going in a, growing up in a deprived neighborhood, uh, having a sort of handed down uh, bike. It was a blue bike. It was a big bike, but it was a girl's bike. And that's what he managed to get. And for a long time, he was only allowed to ride the bike all around the local neighborhood. But one big day came when mom said, you can even venture a little bit away from the neighborhood. I mean, for a young boy to hear those words, that would have been the very beginning of a big adventure. So he, he, he ventured a little bit outside and into the woods, and there was a particular uh, place by the uh, railways that he went past, and then there was a bridge over the river. And as he got to, to the bridge over the river, it was really exciting. He was looking left, looking right, and suddenly he looked ahead, and there were four boys that he knew from school. They were older than him, bigger than him, and always up for trouble. And uh, he kind of plucked up his courage and continued to cycle, thinking it's just going to be fine, it's just going to be fine. But as he approached them, one of them just uh, shouted at him and he said, kid, where do you think you're going? Get off that bike. So he, he did, and then uh, they were uh, looking at him, and he thought to himself, I'm going to get beat up. And I can just see this bike ending up in the river. And then I'm in trouble with mom as well. They looked at him. And suddenly there was this incredible moment when one of them said to him, what's your name? So he said, well, it's Terry Wardle. And then suddenly the faces began to change. It's almost as if he uttered, an unspeakably dangerous word. And then one of the other boys said to him, are you related to Tom Wardle? And then the boy lied. It was his cousin, but he says, yeah, that's my brother. And there was a real reason for it. He was a defensive player in the school's American football team. His cousin was a big boy, and whoever would have messed with him would have been in real trouble. Suddenly, the boys pulled back, and he was the classic. I'm seeing this reenacted in my head, and some of you have been there before. And suddenly, the boy said, he's a great friend of ours. We want to be on the good side of him. If you ever get into any trouble, you talk to us. We'll help you out. And then he managed to get through. But as a grown-up adult, reflecting on those formative days of his life, he said these words. I learned that simply being Terry Wardle was not enough to be respected, accepted, and safe. In the pan panic of that moment, when the cry for safety was loudest, I lied. Yes, everything did turn out okay that day, but I had to, be, to pretend to be something and somebody I was not, so they wouldn't rough me up. I had learned that day this is an unsafe and ungenerous world. And that attaining any degree of success in the world demanded a little bit more than just simply being me. Our identity is very powerful. Who we are is absolutely significant to everything that we do in our life. And unfortunately, the vast majority of the people that I meet 
tend to have trouble with their own identity. A lot of people don't know who they are. I mean, yeah, they, they might know their name. They might know their date of birth. They, they, they might have a passport. So it's not like that, but they don't really know who they are. And all throughout life, they have been shaped by others around them. By whatever voice was loudest in their life, that shaped who they were. Such a heartbreaking thing when you meet people at the dawn of their life with so many unmet expectations. And a life that just wasn't lived the way they wanted it to be lived. Other people just assume the wrong identity. <laughs> they, they want to appear tough. They want to appear intimidating. They want to strike before anybody else gets a chance to strike. And they can't be themselves. They have been hurt once in their life, and they're thinking, that's never ever going to happen to me ever again. And then they just go in a combat mode. That's not who they are, but that's who they are pretending to be because it feels like a safer identity. It's so tricky not having the right identity. And one of the beautiful things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it, it is that it comes to actually give us an identity that establishes a sense of security about who we are in Christ. The most well-rounded and mature followers of Jesus are actually people who are very secure in who they are. And that's incredibly attractive. They're not cocky. They're not arrogant. They haven't got it all sussed out. But they just know who they are in Christ. And that makes them feel very secure. While the rest of the world is just trying to please somebody else or even quieten the voices of insecurities from our own heart. I mean, how many of us wake up in the morning with just voices screaming insecurity at us? You're not good enough. You're not academic enough. You are not a good mom. You're not a good dad. You're not a good husband. You're not a good wife. You're a single person because you're not good enough to get married to somebody else. You're not good enough. You're not in that kind of a job where you could have made a lot more money. You're not good enough because of what you've done in the past. Not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And we stumble into our day with that sense of, you're not good enough. And yet the letter that Paul pens to the Ephesian Christians is setting up an incredible foundation of creating an identity that is solid. And it's nothing to do with our achievements, with having good looks or having a lot of money in our bank accounts or being popular with other people or having the perfect job or being the perfect parent. It's got to do with what Christ has done for us. And that's why, for me, this is such an incredible letter, and it's so attractive, and it's so life-changing, because it promises a lot. And frankly, you might say, well, I've been in church for a long time. Let me say to you, the greatest, probably the number one pastoral problem is that people don't know who they are in Christ. The number two greatest pastoral problem, people don't know who they are in Christ. Number three greatest pastoral problem, you get the idea. The reality for all of us, even as Christ followers who maybe have been embarked on this journey for a long time, is we're struggling because we're not grabbing hold of this 
And even if we do grab hold of this and it gets in here, that sounds very hollow. <laughs> it doesn't always go in here, and it certainly doesn't go into the outlook of the lifestyle that we live. That's one of our greatest battles, getting it in here, getting it in here, and then letting it flow out into the way we speak to people, the way we act, the way we live our lives, the things we pursue. And that's why, as we embark on this letter, what, what we will be doing when we will be preaching on a Sunday morning is probably just scratching the surface. What I'm encouraging you to do is just dwell for the next few months in this letter. Read it for yourself. Memorize it. Ponder upon it. And let those words of truth so fill your mind and heart that actually a transforming new identity either keeps being born in us if you are on this journey, or maybe it starts, it, maybe it's just the beginning for you as you do this because it's life-changing. This morning, what I want us to look at is the blessings that are given to us in Christ, a life of spiritual blessings. The reality is for all the people that were living in Ephesus, uh, I'm going to need Caroline just to... Put, uh, and, and Dan to put it on. Uh, one of the things for the people that are living in Ephesus, Ephesus was a very multicultural city. Multicultural from all points of view, both in terms of ethnicity, as well as people coming with religious backgrounds from all over the world. It was probably the fourth largest city in the world at the time, and very influential in terms of trade, culture, religion, everything. It was right there. And as you can imagine, that would have been a melting pot of all sorts of ideas. But one of the things that people had in common, they all wanted to have gods, and by gods, I mean plural gods, G-O-D-S, God's blessings. Some people believed in a lot of gods, some people believed in one unique God, but everybody wanted to have God's blessing, and everybody was pursuing that through all sorts of things, through reading, through sort of magic practices, occult practices, all sorts of things that would bring the favor of the gods. So when Paul is writing, he's writing in a very specific environment where people were saying, how can I be blessed? And Paul is reminding the Christians so that they know the truth, but also this would be a message that the Christians could live out, and that way it would become very evangelistic to all those who are actually watching their lives. And there's three things I want us to look at. There's probably more in the, in the passage and more read to us, but we'll, we'll just do three things that are significant, three blessings that we have in Christ that should, again, be part of forming our identity. As we're chasing blessing in this life, where do we find it? And actually, I would say we find it in Christ. So if, you, if you're already in Christ, that's an incredible thing because you're already blessed. Sometimes we keep asking for stuff without realizing what we already have. And if you're not in Christ, it's an incredible opportunity to actually embrace this. Right throughout the epistle, the, the, the two words that are always there, or the one word that is always there, and if you go through it, maybe you can do this exercise, underline Christ or him or God in it, because it's peppered with that expression, in Christ or the word Christ or him or God. Because it makes the point that right at the very center of having a strong identity and having a blessed life, it's all related to him. It's all centered in him. So here's the first one. 
the good news is you are chosen to be holy. This is what Paul is writing to the Ephesians. He talks about God, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. How many times have you ever wondered, if I wasn't around, would anybody miss me? Existentially. I've heard that said in the last few years. I just wonder if somebody will miss me in this world. We live with that question, you know, what's the point of being here? Does it really matter? Is there a plan with regards to my life? Does my life really amount to anything? And the answer that Paul would be giving to that question and the answer that he would be giving to to the Ephesians when they would ask that question is saying, look, there's a purpose to you. There's a reason you are here. You're not an accident. You're not just a randomer here. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he says he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in this sight. The good news for the Christian is that we are created in the image of God. That's the original design. Through sin and our own actions, we screw it up by choosing to rebel against God. And it could have ended right there. And that would have been the full stop and the end of the story. But God, in his deep mercy and grace, begins to develop a plan. And as you read the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation, you see this plan that God creates in order to bring us from our fall back to him, from a destroyed relationship back into a restored relationship. And the purpose of that restored relationship is that we would live holy and blameless lives in his sight. Though we have sinned, God has chosen us, and he wants to make us holy people. He wants to sanctify us. Every single one of us is involved in a battle in this room this morning. And there's different degrees. For some, it could be the sort of hooty kind of thing going on. For others, it could be a Ukraine-type full-blown war, spiritually speaking. Every single one of us is fighting this battle between what Paul is saying, who I want to be, what life of pleasing God I want to live, and the reality of the sinful life within me. And every single one of us relates to this in a greater or smaller measure. For somebody, it could be anger. For somebody, it could be greed. For somebody, it could be lust. For somebody, it could be an addiction. And we're all facing this battle. And you try and you fail and you try and you fail. And slowly, this heart and heart begin to think, I can't do this. And God would want to say through the words of Paul, you have a blessing. You've been chosen by God to be holy. In another part of one of his epistles, Paul is saying, the one who began the good work in you will bring you to completion. So God, this is the message from God for us this morning about our identity. Yes, we may struggle with sin. Yes, we're facing these battles. And let me tell you, you're not alone. If you could see the lives of other people around you, you would actually realize you're more normal than you are. 
because everybody's fighting a battle here. They're just very polite and don't talk about it, or maybe they're just private and don't talk about it. But the reality is all of us are involved in this battle. And instead of embracing despair, this morning, the word of God is this promise, you are chosen to be holy. For God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he begins to have this sanctifying work from the inside out. What are we aiming to, 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 to get to? Not get angry, not have lust, not be greedy. No, the aim is to become like Christ. And every day, just like a master sculptor, God is chiseling off all the bits that are rubbish in us, all the things that are absolutely ugly, the sharp corners that hurt other people's lives. And instead, he begins to form this this Jesus-like person in us. And Paul is saying God has started it. He's not going to be like one of those dodgy workers that come and do your roof and halfway through they back off. God's going to finish what he started. And that's part of our identity. If we began this walk of Christ, however hard it may feel right now, however discouraged you may feel, however you may feel, I'm failing, I'm, I'm, I'm an absolute failure at this, don't give up. Let God continue to do that work that he started. And he will finish it. That's the transformation that he promises. When we wonder, can I ever change? The answer is yes. Because that's the promise that God had given through what Paul writes to the Ephesians. The second blessing that we have, not only the fact that God promises that he changes us and makes us holy, but also we're redeemed and adopted. As I said to you before, in in our relationship with God, because of Eve and Adam's sin and their disobedience to God. We had fallen in sin, and because of sin, our relationship with God was broken. And it wasn't just like broken, like you would know this as part of your families. You would have somebody who kind of gets on the wrong side of the family, somebody who rebels and goes away from home and doesn't keep in touch, and the relationship is frosty, you might see each other. No, The relationship between God and mankind was so badly broken that actually, when Paul describes our status before Jesus came to save us, we were enemies of God. Enemies. You get the idea. Not just slightly, God's ticked off with me. We were enemies of God because of the sin in our life. So when Jesus comes, Jesus comes to restore the relationship. What does it look like? Sit in the corner, think about what you've done, and we'll just keep the distance. Because you used to be an enemy, and now you're a little bit less of an enemy, right? No, listen to these words. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us the one he loves. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. This is a message of love. This is a message of God who... While we were still his enemy, sends Jesus into the world to bring us back. But not just to bring us back, 
But listen to these words. Through his blood, as Jesus died on the cross, through his blood, we have the forgiveness of sins. So everything we have ever done, everything we will ever do, present or future, everything anybody has ever done, present or future, is forgiven in Christ Jesus. The gap has been closed. The bridge has been built over the great fall of sin. And God is welcoming us not just with forgiveness, it says with lavished grace. Lavished. I love that word. It should be right at the very top of our Christian vocabulary. Lavished grace upon us. So he's just kind of giving it, you know, when you go to Wallings, you know, and you go for the big, some of you don't know. God bless you. John, I can see a witness, brother. I can see a witness. You know, we probably go a couple of times a year. You know, we're not that flush with cash. But a couple of times of the year, and when we go, we go for the big stuff. You know, and they just lavish the ice cream. Unfortunately, if it's too hot, it starts melting, and then there's this game of, like, you know, don't drip it, don't lose it. And if you're, you know, stingy, told you I've got Yorkshire roots, Scottish, Yorkshire, whatever, mixed in there. I don't want to lose one drop of that ice cream. I want to make sure I get it. It's just lavish. It's just absolutely packed in there. And that's what God's grace does to us. God lavishes, lavishes. As the waves of the sea keep washing over the shore day after day after day, so God's grace comes fresh to people who once used to be his enemies. And then on top of that, it says... God predestined us for adoption to sonship. It isn't as if God is saying, come, and we're kind of in a, it's a classic line that people say, you know, I, I forgive, but I won't forget. And in other words, they still won't talk to you. God doesn't do that. God welcomes us and adopts us in his family. And we are sons. And again, it's just not gender exclusive. It's actually probably very culturally relevant because sons were regarded as more important than daughters in that culture. And what Paul, by using that, is trying to say, he's giving you the very best. You're regarded as the best kid. Obviously, if you've got kids, you don't have favorites, right? You know, all are equal, allegedly. You know, but if Paul was to say, he says, you're the favorite kid that God has. You're adopted in his family. And the relationship isn't just restored transactionally where God is saying, all right, as a reluctant judge, I'm saying Jesus paid for it, but I kind of have to forgive you and accept you. No, God is saying, I am the the, the father in the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son who runs ahead and disgraces himself looking like an absolute idiot running ahead to welcome the son that didn't deserve to be welcomed home. And then he throws a party and he gives him the ring and he gives him the robe. All the honor. That's the heart of God. That's our identity. If we struggle with this question and keep wondering, am I loved? The answer, and, and Paul would shout it from the rooftops and he would say, yes, you are loved. You are loved beyond belief. You are loved despite of yourself. That is the message that Jesus is bringing to us as he's reminding us of our identity in him. We receive lavish grace as undeserving sinners. And we have this privileged status 
And it's all because of Christ. And that is being revealed to us as this incredible mystery that, that we get it. That's what it says here. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. That's good news this morning. It's good news any morning. But it's good news this morning that we are redeemed and adopted. And then he carries on. It doesn't finish, I'm telling you. It doesn't finish. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Paul is saying, and you are also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The amazing thing is that when Jesus comes to die on the cross, he builds that bridge over the great divide in our relationship with God, spiritually speaking. And for enemies, we're now becoming children of God, sons adopted in God's family, forgiven, rescued, redeemed. But we are not left orphans, Jesus is saying. There comes a point when Jesus is saying to the disciples, I, I am about to go away. And they're going, oh, no, what's going to be happening to us? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 let me tell you, it's good news. If I'm going away, there's somebody even better than me that's going to come. He's the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And he will come and live in you and be with you. It's God living in us. And that's what Paul is saying. Not only you, 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 God destined you to live a holy life. Not only God did come and lavish grace upon you and adopt you in his family. Also, God gave you the Holy Spirit as a deposit and a seal. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit, when he was about to depart, he explains, Jesus explains what the Holy Spirit will do. And he talks about the Holy Spirit and he calls him a comforter. He calls him a counselor. He calls him somebody who convicts people of their sin. So every time you pick up the Bible and you're thinking, what does this stuff mean? It's the Holy Spirit, God inside of you, who opens up your mind and heart to get it. Every single time you live in sin and you feel that sense of conviction about that what you've done is wrong, it's the Holy Spirit who does that. Every single time you get disheartened about your walk with Jesus and you feel like, I'm such a lousy Christian, the one who comforts you is the Holy Spirit who comes and speaks truth into your life. Also, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us gifts in order to serve in the church. Everything that we do when we serve and bless one another and bless other people, they're all given by the Holy Spirit. Also, the Holy Spirit brings fruit in our life in terms of our character. All the characteristics of a godly person, being patient, being kind, being long-suffering, being self-controlled, all those, it's the Holy Spirit who grows them in our life. He's like this spiritual gardener who looks after our flourishing. And that's why Jesus is saying, I want to give you an encouragement. Before I go, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will come and live with you and be with you full time. You don't need to go to a certain place to find the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is in you. 
And the reason Paul is encouraging the believers, he says, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. There is a sense of assurance. There's a stamp there that is saying you are God's child. So times when we wonder, you know, am I really God's child? Am I, am I, am I really walking with Jesus? The Holy Spirit reminds us that there's a seal that's being put in our life. Whenever I have a conversation with somebody and they would say to me, do you know what? I really wonder whether I'm a Christian. I say, why? Because I don't live the kind of life that I think I should be living. And I'm really struggling with it. And I keep saying to them, the reason I really believe you are a Christian is because you're asking that question. If you wouldn't ask that question, you wouldn't be a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're convictable. And the Holy Spirit is the one that is at work. So I said... Yes, there's a battle. Yes, you are sinning. Yes, you're not doing what you should be doing, but you are aware of it, and you want to change, and you want to get God's help. And that's great, because that means the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And that's a great encouragement. And also, Paul is saying there's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's almost as the times when we're thinking about heaven and eternity, and we're thinking, am I going to get there? Is, 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 Is this real? God is saying... Okay, God is saying, <laughs> God is saying, I don't know what he's saying. God is saying, you are going to heaven. I've given you the Holy Spirit. He's a deposit, and he confirms what's about to come. And it's that great assurance where we think, am I saved? Am I going up to heaven? The Holy Spirit in us is part of that great work that God wants to do in us. You know, all those spiritual blessings that Paul is bringing are meant to encourage us and to draw us near to God and to have that sense of this is my identity. So if I was to ask you this morning, you know, what, who, who are you in Christ? Who are you in Christ this morning? You could answer based on what Paul has already written to him. I am somebody who is becoming holy. God is changing me and transforming me into Christ likeness. And he started a work. This is my identity. When Paul begins to write, Paul is saying this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, to God's holy people in Ephesus. Do you think all the Ephesians were all absolutely spot on? They all did their quiet time, read the Bible every morning, never ever got angry, you know, with little, you know, Joey or whatever they used to call them in Ephesus, the little kids when they were doing your head in. Do you think they weren't like us? They were just like us, yet Paul calls them The saints, God's holy people, because that's our identity. So that's what we need to embrace this morning. Also, we need to embrace that God has and is lavishing his grace upon us. You are loved. You know, you might say to me, hey, if I'm looking at my family around, if I'm looking at the people, my neighbors, I just feel so lonely. I feel so isolated. I don't really know what the heck's going on in this world, but I don't feel like there's a lot of love People at work don't notice me. I want to tell you, I want to broadcast this to you. God loves you. How do I know? It's because of what he's done in Christ. And that's your identity. You can wake up every single morning, look in the mirror and say, I am loved. It's not what your feelings are telling you. It's what the truth of God's word is declaring out loud. And you're also sealed. You have the Holy Spirit in you. When you feel like you're lonely, you're weak, you're struggling, there's that great reassurance. Hey, God is in me. I mean, seriously, this is off the scale amazing. 
Most of the time, we'd love to have friends in higher places, you know, people that have access, people that have all sorts of resources. And God is saying, "Ah, Holy Spirit, in you, with you, all the time. How amazing is that? And that's why embracing those three blessings should make us feel like we are blessed in Christ this morning. We may not be rich. We may not be healthy. Our relationships may not all line up as nicely as we would love them to. Our life circumstances may not be what we would wish them to be. But it still doesn't take it away from the truth this morning that if we are in Christ, we are blessed. There's a really powerful pastoral implication to that. The sad thing is that most of us often in life, we try to find our identity and our sense of identity or maybe our sense of comfort or maybe our sense of value in how other people treat us or what other people say about us. And we fill our minds and hearts with that. I want to say this morning, it's toxic. Even worse, we listen to the very worst version of ourself telling us who we are. That's even more toxic. And so very rarely we take the time to take this book and read it and use it like a mirror and say, God, show me who I am in you. Instead, we believe the lies that come from the inside and the outside And we just don't believe what God is saying about us. And that those are probably some of the most difficult pastoral contexts that I have. Because I keep saying to people, I've got nothing I can offer you. I can offer you tea and sympathy, but that won't get you anywhere. I've got nothing to offer you apart from this. This is the mirror. This is where you go to. You listen, and you listen, and you listen, and you listen, and you listen to what God says about who you are, not what you say you are, or what other people are saying, or what you think other people are saying about who you are. So this morning, CFM, I want to I give us the encouragement to really make sure that we listen to what God is saying about us. For everything that you have as doubts and the voices that you listen, for every minute of doubt that you listen, every moment that you focus on what somebody's written on your social media about you or what thoughts come into your head, spend ten times as much with God's word to counteract the truth, letting the truth speak into the lies. That's who we are in Christ. And there's a discipleship battle that will rage on for the rest of your life between your mind and your heart. And again, it's the same story, and it's kind of along the same lines. We tend to believe what we feel and not believe what we believe. Now, feelings are super important to our lives. I've seen and met many robotic Christians that are just like weird. Who are just like kind of devoid of any sense of reality, and there's no feelings and there's no reality. And, and, and there's nothing, and it's just about, like, truth, truth, truth. It isn't like that. I keep telling you, the example is David. Camp in the Psalms. That's where you will learn what an authentic relationship with God is like and how you express it in a very helpful way, where you bring reality, the reality of your feelings. God, smash them out. You know, the reality of your feelings, right? 
But then you bring the truth about who God is as well. Most of the times, we tend to choose a sort of binary option of, I'm blocking every feeling out, and it's just all about thoughts, and it's just all about thoughts. Or it's just all about feelings, all about feelings, all about feelings. We must learn as disciples of Jesus to let the feelings meet the truth, and actually the feelings follow the truth as they're shaped. That's what happens with David. He comes with kind of feelings and usually kind of down and angry and frustrated and scared and everything else, anxious. And then he comes and he worships and and, and meets God in his character and in his care for him. And he ends up with praise because his feelings get changed into a different higher reality because God enters the picture. And that's what we need to do in terms of discipleship and have that attitude. And, you know, my encouragement to all of us is to embrace this, to embrace this new life. This new identity that Christ has given us. And maybe you're, a, you're not, not a Christian yet. You haven't started that journey of faith. I want to say right at the beginning of, of, of this year, wow, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Otherwise, you're just kind of, you know, blindly kind of grappling for things. And God, through Jesus, wants to come into your life, bring these blessings that we look at, and bring a new life. But you need to step over the line. You need to say, God... I want to surrender my life to you. I want you to come and take control because I've, I've had control and it's not great. It's that place of surrender that is just so essential. So once says we're all in the same boat, whether we started a journey with Jesus or we are on the journey of Jesus, it's all about that. It's all about surrender. It's all about that transaction where we're saying, God, I can't control my life. I'm desperate for your help and I'm coming to you because you are kind You're gracious. You're the Father who comes to meet me where I am, and you want to bring change in me. You want to change me from the angry person, the addicted person, the lustful person, the greedy person, into somebody who's like Jesus. And you promised you would start this work, and you would bring it to completion. And that's the invitation that's available for all of us in this. There's a, an amazing movie I saw. I, I had to check it out. It's about 16, 17 years ago. I won't give you the title because it's a little bit... Yeah, it's got bits in it that are not great. Uh, I was in youth work in those days, so you had to watch it for cultural reasons. <laughs> but it's a, it's a very powerful uh, movie. And for me, it was very poignant because one of my roommates while I was in Bible college was from Sierra Leone. And the reality of what was depicted in the movie was actually fairly close to the reality that was conveyed by my colleague. And it's, it's, it's basically all to do with the diamond trade and the sort of murky world of local militias. And particularly it was a time when child soldiers, not that it is now, but probably it's kind of gone off the sort of news world agenda. But particularly uh, Sierra Leone was rife with uh, child soldiers. And there's a beautiful clip there's a beautiful image where uh, this uh, Sierra Leonean guy, uh, together with an American guy uh, who are on their particular quest, uh, are being uh, found in, in, a, in a bush. And the person who found them was the boy of the Sierra Leonean father. And he comes with a gun, and I tell you what, it's no joke. 
you know, it's not one of those, here's an eight-year-old kid. They were like shooting people, like there's no tomorrow. And he comes, and he's absolutely determined. His eyes are glazed. I mean, super acting. His eyes are glazed, and he's ready to shoot them. And at that moment, in desperation, the father speaks into the son's life. And these are the words that he says. Dia, he says, what are you doing? Dia, look at me. Look at me. What are you doing? You are Dia Vendi of the proud Mendi tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister, Nianda, and new baby. The cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog, who minds no one but you. I know they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you, and you will come home with me and be my son again. As you watch the father passionately deliver those words, the boy begins to break up. Tears begin to flow on his cheek. And as I saw that, I thought, the heavenly father speaks those words from Ephesians into your life and my life. Saying, you are not what other people are saying. You are not who you think you are. I know who you are. And you will come home with me. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are my children. Let's just bow our heads and allow the band to come back. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you reveal spiritual truth to our minds and hearts. We thank you that your word has the power to give us clarity, wisdom, and guidance. We thank you for Jesus. If Jesus would have not stepped into our world and given his life on the cross and risen from the dead, we would still be hopeless. Hopeless. Trying to live a good life and failing like champions. And yet because of Jesus, you have reached out to us. That was your plan all the way and you were undeterred. You never gave up on us. You never, ever, ever gave up on us. And because of Jesus, there's cleansing from sin. Because of Jesus, there is overwhelming love. Because of Jesus, there is fresh grace. And all of them, you just lavish them on us. Not because we're good, but because you're good. This morning, I pray that you would reach down into the very depths of our soul and let this truth sink in like an anchor that just helps us in the times when the storm is on. 
let us be always like the prodigal son. Let us come to our senses and say, I will run back to my father's house. No matter what I've done, my father welcomes me. That is not only just a second chance. But there's a billionth, billionth, time billion chances to come back home. And this morning I'm making that choice, Father, to come to you to receive grace, to receive new life, to receive transformation, to receive hope. Let's come and open our hearts to him and receive that as we sing and worship the God who welcomes us. Let's stand together.